This week, I want to clarify uh, and expand upon something I said in class. Oh, it must have been weeks ago at this point. Who can say? It all blurs together. At some point in the past, I said uh, something in class that uh, several people have come and asked me about, and I could tell in the room like there was a puzzlement, uh, and it is this. I don't believe that only members of the Church of Christ will be saved. That's what I said. Uh, and I could tell that there was some confusion and some... Uh, uh, Confusion is probably the best word. So I, I thought I'd clarify this. I believe this statement to be true, but it does warrant some further explanation and clarification. And so we're going to talk about this tonight. Why is this true and why is it important, right? It's not just about factuality, but about relevance and importance. So we'll start with some nomenclature. Uh, some We're talking about words. I love to talk about words so much. What is a denomination? Now you can think about the as it is with all, all religious words. There's the meaning of the word itself, and then there's the way that our culture uses the word, which eventually the way that our culture uses a word becomes the intended meaning, right? That's how words work, is as people use the word, then that becomes the definition, and then the dictionary. The dictionary actually follows behind culture, I don't know, I'd say 10 or 20 years, uh, really. So when we think about this word, what is a denomination? Etym etymologically, say that 10 times fast. It has to do with naming, right? To denominate. The, the N-O-M there is several languages have that as the root of name, to separate by name. And of course, when we think about it in the idea of a religion, to the, have a denomination of a religion, it's not just the name, but it is the particular set of beliefs that go along with that name typically. And so typically people reject the idea that our fellowship, when I say our fellowship, we would say probably Churches of Christ, is a denomination, usually along the lines of the idea of central leadership, right? A lot of uh, what we'd call, what people would call, not we, but how religious um, scholars would classify a, a denomination is central leadership, right? You've got the Southern Baptist Convention, and you've got the Vatican, and you've got all these different things, not that the Catholic Church is a denomination, but that kind of idea is you have a central leadership or a, a central sort of creed book or guideline that's, that congregations have to follow versus our leadership structure, which is autonomous congregations, right? We do what we're doing based on what the elders say, based on what they think the Bible says. And, and we do sort of sometimes have sort of bleed in of sort of congregational fellowship, but not oversight, right? Nobody is overseeing our congregation. We just are doing our thing. And we might meet with other congregations and talk about stuff and, and think about things and fellowship together. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the elders here decide what's going to happen here, and then that's the end of it. Uh, so that, that's one of the reasons that people typically reject the idea that the Church of Christ is a denomination, but it's easy to treat the Church of Christ as a denomination regardless of what you claim. And again, we're thinking about how people classify religious groups. If you think, and I, I, I am going to say this very strongly, but hopefully gently, if you think that a person must be a part of a congregation that has a particular name on the door, you are denominational. You are treating the name on the door as a denomination. That is to say that the name on the door is the thing that determines whether a person is saved or not. And we might say it in the positive and the negative, right? There's two ways to think about this. There's the you have to have this name on the door and that makes you saved. That's one way, which I don't think anybody thinks. 
or you have to have this name on the door, and if it isn't, then you're not saved. Do you see the difference between those two ideas? Let me rephrase it so that you understand what I'm saying. You could say that having a particular name on the door is a necessary prerequisite of salvation. That's one thing. Or you could say that having a particular name on the door is the thing that makes you saved, which one of those is very different than the other. But either way, if you think that there has to be a particular name on the door in order for a person to be saved, you view it as a denomination. You just do. Because the name is the thing that matters to you. So I'm trying to say this gently and strongly because when you think about the name of the church, remember that church just means assembly or group of people. And the, the rationale for the name Church of Christ is that Christ, and we think about this in a sort of nomenclature sense, but also a descriptive sense, Christ bought the church and owns the church, and yet the New Testament uses the nomenclature, the name, Church of God, far more often than it uses the term Church of Christ. We can think about churches of church, sometimes it's church, and sometimes it's churches, depending on if he's talking to a single congregation or a group of congregations or the whole universal church as a whole. Uh, Eleven times in the New Testament this term is used versus Church of Christ is one time. In, as in all the churches of Christ in Romans 16, church of the living God, one time, churches of the place. So it could be church of Corinth, the church that is in Corinth, or the churches of Galatia, which is a region, not a particular place, right? Or we could have the churches of wherever, church in Jerusalem. Uh, many, many times, I would say most by far, depending on, of course, it's harder to search because you have to search each name individually, and I just didn't want to do that, but it's many times. That, that's how the church is referred to. Not to mention, as you all know that I love, not all of you because some of you are new, uh, the titles or descriptors of the church that do not include the word church. My favorite of which some of you know, the pillar and buttress of truth. We could name that. Although, if again, if I was going to have my way, maybe we'd be the way. Followers of the way right? Persecutor. He was a persecutor of the way. Uh, it's described to Paul many times. And of course, the way referring to what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? That idea of hearkening back to Jesus and his teaching. So, does this mean the name on the door is irrelevant? Of course not. Nobody would ever say that. I, I shouldn't say that. Reasonable people would never say that. But any name we choose should, of course, be a name that the early church used. And this is, we're following the idea of apostolic authority. The early church, how did they de delineate themselves? What did they call themselves, right? Because they're inspired. The apostles and prophets in the first century, they have the inspiration of God. What did the men and women who were inspired, what did they choose to call themselves? Well, we should probably pick that name. But as we've seen, it could be any number of, of names. Any one of, I would say probably, uh, maybe not a dozen, that's probably too many. Ten maybe names, that we could use, that the New Testament church used. And names matter, of course. This is another tricky thing that is not really scriptural, but names do matter from a convenience-slash-visitor standpoint, right? A way for seekers, people who are looking for truth, to quickly identify a group. And that ends up happening denominationally sort of by accident, right? Whether we intend to or not, people who are looking for a place to worship, what's the first thing they're going to check? the name on the door. And they're going to run through their head about what they know about groups that have that name on the door. Like, that just is what it is. There's no way around that. So I understand that to a degree, that that's just the way that the world works. Yet on the last point, do we want people to group us into a box very quickly, 
based on the reputation of our name? Some might say yes. I would suggest no. I don't want people to do that. I want people to come and experience who we are and what we teach and what we believe. I don't, I don't want to be dragged down by whatever baggage people have based on their past experiences with churches of Christ, whoever that is. We know that some churches of Christ do not teach the same things we do. The name on the door doesn't mean that they're going to teach the right stuff. We know that to be true. On the other hand, I would suggest, and this is sort of the main point, not main point, one of the main points of this lesson, I'm very confident. I would go so far as to say certain that there are groups in the world that do not have the name Church of Christ on the door that are teaching all the same things that we teach. Why? Because the Bible says what it says. And people that approach the Bible a particular way are going to come to particular conclusions, as we have come to. We're not so unique and great that we're the only ones that can figure this out, right? That's kind of the point of our, our class on Bible study. One of the points of, on our Wednesday night class is that the Bible is very easy to read and understand. It's very sort of simple language. So to say that we're the only ones that could ever figure it out, or to say that Alexander Campbell and, and Barton Stone are the only ones that could ever have figured it out is lunacy to say that. I want people to give us a chance, regardless of what emotional baggage they may have accumulated from other churches of Christ. And this goes back to the autonomous nature of the church of Christ, right? We have, I would say, and I don't know, it's hard to say, guys. If you've not really been at a lot of other churches, it's hard for you, I think, to put into context how good our elders are. I mean, really, and they didn't ask me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, I have a lot of preachers in my family. I don't know if you knew that. It's just a very rare blessing to be at a place with elders that think about things deeply and care about things deeply. Not all places are like that. Not all churches of Christ are like that. And so, you know, you might have elderships that are, that are, are, cruel or mean or thoughtless or hurtful or not really caring about what's true and what's right. And those elders, because there's no oversight, right? There's no central body of oversight for Church of Christ. They create a fellowship that's very mean and cruel and hurtful and judgmental. I don't want people to think that, oh, we have the name Church of Christ on our door, so we must be just like those mean and cruel, hurtful people. I don't want people to think that. I want people to give me a chance. Because what determines a person's fellowship and in the universal body of Christ is not the name on the door. It's how we act and what we teach. Right? How we act and what we teach. And I want people to experience that firsthand. Because we do, I think, teach the right thing. We do interpret the Bible the way that the apostles intended to be interpreted. We do, I think, worship the way that God wants to be worshipped. So names matter. But to be exclusive about the name on the door is to fail to speak where the Bible speaks. That adage, that sort of restoration plea to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent, to say that the name on the door matters to the extent that it can exclude someone from the kingdom is quite frankly to say something that the Bible does not say. It just doesn't. So what really matters? What determines whether an individual or group will be saved? And we'll talk about that more as we go through. Matthew seven twelve. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is what we'd call the golden rule, right? And we just got done talking about this. How would the golden rule then apply to how we think about church names? If I want people to give me a chance, 
And I want people to give us a chance and not write us off just because the name on the door. If I want that, should I not extend that same grace to others? And not automatically, well, that person attends that church over there. They must not be going to heaven. That's not doing to them what I would want them to do to me. Now, it could be you go and you talk to people and you find out what's going on at a particular congregation and you learn, yes, they're not teaching truth. They're teaching all sorts of wackadoo stuff, whatever it may be. It's not hard to figure that out once you give them the chance, right? If you're extending grace, you go find out. You, you figure out what's happening at a particular congregation. It doesn't take very long to figure out if a group is teaching truth. It doesn't take that long. But you should at least take that initial step, right? You should give them a, that amount of grace to say that you are attending this congregation, so you must be lost. That's, again, not only is it, is it ungracious, I would say that according to this verse, it is sinful. Because you don't want them to do that to you, right? You want people to understand what you teach and what you say and how you're acting. Matthew seven fourteen. No, I'm sorry, 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The warning is dire, of course. Most people will not find the way of life. Isn't that his point? Those who find it are few. And yet... The only way for me to discover who's in the narrow way and who's not is not to write them off based on the name on the door in the building. It is to understand them and what they teach. I can simultaneously have in my mind that most people will not find the way of truth and that in each individual case, I need to be gracious and extend the benefit of the doubt. I can have simultaneously both of those in my mind at the same time. Those are not contradictory ideas. If I'm going to be doing what God wants, or if I'm going to be treating people the way that I want to be treated. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Before are false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Have you ever thought about a false prophet as a ravenous wolf? There's some televangelists that I think of as ravenous wolves. I don't know about you guys. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the de diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit, uh, bear good fruit rather, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, this is an analogy, right? This is the analogy of plants growing. And when we think about how this applies to our current discussion, it's less about the name on the door as it is about the quote-unquote product. I should say produce there. Maybe I, I maybe I typoed that, just sort of automatically put product. But the produce, right? What are we as a group producing in what we do and what we teach? Those are the two things that we produce, right? The teaching and the doing of things, what we say and what we do. That's how you will recognize the church. And we use that word, the church. What does that mean? Whether an individual or a group is in the universal body of Christ is not what's on the name on the door, it's what is being produced in the fellowship. What is being produced in their lives. And again, that's two things, right? What they do, and I should say we, what we do and what we teach. And we could turn this around as we do on all things. 
just because we have named Church of Christ on the door does not mean that we are right with God. That's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? We have to be producing the good fruit, that which accords with truth and godliness. We keep reading in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Notice the importance of the name here. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, a holy identity primarily consists of obedience, not self-identification. You cannot self-identify yourself into the kingdom of heaven. You can't do it. You're not the one who gets to make that decision. No matter how you feel about it, no matter how good you feel like you're doing, no matter if you really, de- I was, man, I feel like I'm on fire for God and I'm doing what God wants and I'm doing all these great things. And at the end of the day, you don't get to determine that. Who does? The lawgiver. Jesus. Or we could say the Father, either way. They determine who is part of the group. And we could say self-identification doesn't work, but also the identification of others does not work. Right? Other people don't get to determine. I do not get to determine whether you or anybody I teach is in the kingdom of heaven. I I don't have that power. I don't get to determine that. That's not something that has been given to me to decide. And amen for that. Because I'm full of bias, and, and sometimes I'm a little angry at people, and sometimes I get a little short-tempered, and, and man, I'm not very tolerant. And don't you, aren't you glad that I'm not the one that gets to say, Bev, you're out of here. That, that should not be my power. And it should not be, despite the good intentions of our elders, it should not be their power either. It's only God's. And what does he, what does he say will determine it? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who? He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's who gets to be in the group. And there's a certain amount of leeway in that, isn't there? Because I know that not anybody in the entire world is ever going to do all of the Father's will. There's an amount of grace that is given to each person who seeks the kingdom of heaven. Grace depending on whether I obey to the best of my ability. He doesn't say to the best of my ability, right? Whoever does the will of the Father to the best of their ability who is in heaven, that's not what he says. But that is the implied thing by all of the passages about, well, we just read it this morning in Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift, right? That's the idea. So while it doesn't say whoever does the will of my Father to the best of their ability, that is the implication in all of the other texts about grace and about forgiveness and about we need the righteousness of God. But at the same time, it doesn't mean, as Paul goes on to talk about in Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? I'm just going to keep doing bad stuff because God's grace is so great. And I'm going to keep doing the bad stuff so that God can be more gracious to me and forgive me even more because I'm such a horrible sinner. So I'm just going to keep doing that stuff. And of course, what does Paul say? He says, by no means, technically. But I don't like that. Don't be dumb. Don't be an idiot. Of course we're not going to continue to sin that grace may abound. By no means. 
we're going to do the best of our ability what God says. So again, we're thinking about what does this mean for our current discussion? So what? The, o- the idea that only Church of Christ members will be saved is not only logically invalid because of all what we've talked about. It is, and I, I feel very strongly about this, it is sinful to say that. That only people who attend a congregation with Church of Christ on the door will be saved. It is sinful for two reasons. One, because you have made yourself the judge. And two, you have made yourself the judge based on criteria that God did not say was part of it. It is flat out sinful. And if we're thinking about another part in Matthew 7, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If I'm going to be that strict about a thing that God has not delineated one way or the other, might I be running the risk of putting myself into stricter judgment? If I need to be gracious, as God wants me to be gracious, it imposes a command and restriction on people. Ah, I knew I was going to do that. Man, all right. Maybe I should have kept the bandage on. It imposes a command and restriction on people that Jesus and the apostles did not impose. And again, to the second point about evangelism. If we want others to put aside their baggage, and I have baggage here like emotional baggage, right? Relational baggage. You date somebody that does a thing and you never want to date anybody like them ever again. That's baggage. And we can think about that in terms of the church, right? It's not dating per se, but it is kind of dating. You're finding a new church and you're trying to find a group that you fit with and and you're trying to find a group that, hopefully you're trying to find a group that teaches truth. But you know that one church over there that I was at before, they claimed to teach truth, but you know what? They did this horrible thing to me and so now I'm never going to go to any church with that name on the door ever again. I I don't want people to be that way with us, right? I don't want what some other church did to determine whether somebody's going to be a part of our fellowship. If we want that attitude, we need to extend that attitude to others. Jesus is clear. Identify his people by their fruit. What are people teaching? What are people doing? And if this is our standard, we could go back to two weeks ago on Sunday morning, the standard of God's righteousness. If our standard is his standard, it will become very evident very quickly who is trying to meet God's righteousness and who is teaching things that accords with God's righteousness and who are doing things that accords with God's righteousness. Fruit being the things that are taught and the things that are done. Don't just accept or reject people based on self-claimed titles. Examine what they say and what they do, just like I want people to do for me. Examine what I say and what I do. Don't just write me off based on the name on the door. This is, of course, the standard that God will use to judge us. We'll end with 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 8. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless... That unless is doing a lot of work in this sentence. Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test. Interestingly, unless you fail to meet the self-imposed test, right? This is the self-imposed test. There's going to be another test later on. 
while I'm here, I need to have a self-imposed test because I don't want to get to the final test and it be too late. So I continually examine myself so that Christ will be in me if I am keeping the tenets of his faith. Again, not the things that people say, but the things that he said and his apostles said, the things that they said. But we pray to God that you may do no wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, although we may seem to have failed. And what's his point there? Maybe you don't like what we're doing, but make sure that you're doing what is right. Make sure that you're doing what Jesus said. Even if you think we're not, make sure that you are. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. This should be our attitude, right? That fundamentally, I'm not really worried about what other people are doing. I'm worried about what am I doing? And how can I help other people see what God wants them to do? Regardless of their fellowship, current fellowship, regardless of the name on their door, regardless of what's going on in their lives, how can I help people see the truth? That's what we're concerned with, right? Is helping others find the truth of the gospel.